Well, it was the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And the people of God were right on the precipice of something big. Something for which they had been waiting for years. Something for which they had sacrificed and prayed. Something which God had promised would be happening soon. And there they were, finally there on the edge of glory, ready to enter into a new land that God had promised. You see... They had suffered hundreds of years of persecution. They had been nomads without a home to call their own. Their identity, their very identity as a people had been threatened time and time again. But God was faithful and there they were on the precipice of this new land, this new land of safety and of rest and of peace that that God had promised to them. A land that was flowing with milk and honey as the scripture says. And so their leader Moses At that moment, he stood up in front of this entire nation at this important pregame locker room moment. Quiet. Just the wind carrying his voice. And Moses stands up and he says, Hear, O Israel! Pay attention. Listen up. Don't miss this. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's only one God. There is no other. Our God is the one true God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Friends, as we enter this new land, it is important to commit again to obeying God with your whole heart. Just as God has always been faithful to us, so we must be undivided in our loyalty to Him. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. This isn't just on tablets. Remember when I came down from the mountain with those tablets? This isn't just commands to obey because you know you're supposed to, because your mom, your dad, your grandma, your aunt and uncles and cousins used to go to synagogue and say, hey, obey this. This is to be on your own hearts. These commands I'm telling you about again today, as I've told you many times before, are to be obeyed because you love God. And because you're about to go into this new land, this beautiful, this lush land, you're going to be tempted to forget about the work that God has done for us. You'll get used to this luxury. You'll get used to this newfound freedom and this ease of life. So I'm telling you now, I'm forewarning you now before you go in, you will have fallen in love with that rest and that safety and that security. It'll be easy to forget your love for God when it's competing with your love of this new land. So be laser focused. Be laser focused on passing these commands. Laser focused on passing these commands to those who come behind. You shall teach them diligently. Not haphazardly. Do this on purpose. Do this with intent. Do this with care. Not somebody else. You. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them. When you sit in your house, And when you walk by the way, 
and when you lie down and when you rise, all parts of the day, as a reminder that God is present at all times. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Don't forget them. Know them. Teach them to your family. Here's why this is important. Here's why this is important. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He said, take care lest you forget the Lord. You'll be tempted in this new world, in this circumstance of ease and of safety and of luxury and of rest. You'll be tempted to forget what I've been telling you. You'll be tempted to forget the work that God has done in your past, in your life, in the lives of your family, in the lives of your mothers and fathers and grandparents and those who came before. Take care. It is so easy, friends. Thousands of years ago or today to become distracted from job one. And here Moses is saying, The job one is to obey God because you love Him. And to pass on that love to your children. So for us today, there are five principles we want to draw out from this text that we've just talked about. Just giving you a little bit of context for. We're going to look into the the text here and pick out five things that are helpful for us that will be uh, principles to equip us for leaving a legacy with our own children. This is a gas pedal on which we at First Christian Church will not let up. You can, you can take this series as uh, a clarion call for us to say, we are going to continue to put our foot on the gas pedal of caring about the next generation of children and youth and those who come behind, whatever it takes for us to do that. Which is to say, if this is a coming out party for a new value of emphasizing children and youth in a way that five weeks from now, those of you who are regulars here are looking up here and going, we've heard it, Scott. We've heard it, Scott. Please stop talking, Scott. We're over Can you overemphasize children and youth ministry? Can you overemphasize passing on a love to obey God because you love Him to your children. Count us guilty. Count us guilty. We're coming out public today with a new, new church value. Overemphasizing children and youth. We'll put it on our website. I'm only half kidding. We won't actually put it down. But here are five things that will help us toward that end if you want to jump in with me. The first one here, look again at verse 4. 
Just that little phrase in verse 4. Just seven words in the Hebrew. Uh, more in English. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Jews call this important prayer here the Shema. S-H-E-M-A. Shema is the first word here in verse 4, the word that's translated as hear, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema means always keep your attention on this. Hear this. Listen to this. Pay attention to this. Don't miss this. Keep focused on this. Always keep your attention on this. Since the time of Moses, many, many, many years ago, the Jews recite this prayer, the Shema, twice a day as a continual reminder for them to keep their attention on the truth that everything is about God. It's like Moses was saying here, everything I have said and everything that I will say hinges on this one essential truth that trumps everything else. And it is that it is all about God. In this one phrase, you might want to tweet this, hashtag tweet this. In this one phrase, Moses established the centrality of God as the frame of reverence, frame of reference for everything in their lives. In this one phrase, Moses established the centrality of God as the frame of reference for everything in their lives. Moses wasn't concerned about them becoming atheists. He was concerned that they would lose their focus, that they would shift their priorities from God to something else. So the power of the Shema for the people of God was that it was a constant reminder to keep their attention on the centrality of God as the frame of reference for everything. And of course, that especially applies here to the raising of children. So the first priority we have here is to uh, imagine the end. To imagine the end. Uh, This is all about keeping your attention on the centrality of God as the frame of reference for raising of children. You see, we're people who are still dealing with our sin, and we lose our focus, and we are quick to sort of pick up the world's yardstick and to measure our children according to the world's measures, according to the world's priorities. We parents are sidetracked by questions like, will my kid get good grades? Will they stay out of trouble? Will they stay out of debt? Will they marry the right person? Will they get a good job? Will they have enough for retirement? Friends, if they don't know Jesus as Lord, who cares if they succeed according to the world's priorities? Straight up, flat out, the devil deceives a lot of people simply because They passionately pursue everything but a relationship with God as the center. God didn't create the world so it works that way. He created the world so that when he is the center, the frame of reference for our whole life, including our parenting and our raising of children, then he blesses us. Then he bears fruit through us. Then he communicates himself and makes himself known to those who come behind so the first priority is to, uh, is to imagine the end. To imagine the end. To think about the questions like, what does God want my child to become? You may think, some of you hearing that think, well, of course that's the question. Get some years on you, 
become a parent, get some kids underneath you, and you'll start thinking, man, what do I want them to become? I sure hope they. I sure want them too. (laughs) Who cares about what you want? If God's the center of the universe and created us, who who is the clay to say to the potter, make me what I want? Imagine the end as all about keeping your focus on what God wants your children to become. So parent accordingly. What does God want for my children? 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 If you have to say that, like the Shema for yourself two times a day as a parent, say it to yourself. What does God want for my children? Then your heart will follow. Your heart will eventually follow. Because let's be frank, who cares what you want? If that hinders them from a relationship with God, who cares what you want? You're not the owner of these kids. You're not the owner. Okay, number two. Look at verse five. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. There's something here in verse five that the people hadn't seen a whole lot before. Forty years earlier, Moses had stepped off of Mount Sinai with what we call the Ten Commandments. Actually, it was 613, but he had the Ten Commandments there, which was a summary of the entire 613 commandments, and tucked away smack dab, a little reference in the middle of those Ten Commandments, was something that they hadn't seen much before, something they hadn't focused on a whole lot. And it was a statement that Moses picked up on, and he made more explicit here in this verse. It hadn't been talked about much before. But over the next several chapters here, in fact, Moses will repeat this command about loving the Lord, loving the Lord, loving the Lord numerous times. In fact, one way to to summarize the whole book of Deuteronomy is to talk about this issue of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So Moses repeats this new command. Jesus would eventually pick up on this. And now we call it the great commandment. In Exodus 20, verse 6, let me show you where we get this. In Exodus 20, verse 6, God says that he will show steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Smack dab in the middle of the Ten Commandments is the command that talks about loving him. So here in Deuteronomy 6.5, Moses is saying, summarize a whole bunch of stuff here. Moses is saying that love is the motivation behind obedience. Love is the motivation behind our obedience. This has huge implications for how we raise our children. It means means that getting your children to obey the rules is 100% useless if it means you have not won their hearts to love God. So the principle, the second principle for us here is to fight for the heart. Next couple blanks there in your outline. Fight for the heart. Most of us who are parents, I've got three, one, two, three. I'll show you what these means next week. What these mean next week. Uh, most of us as parents at some point buy into the myth that, that what is important is to pass down the rules. And then we think, better yet, let's pass down the reasons behind the rules. 
the, the thinking is that if I can get them to understand why we have these rules, I can get them to obey. They will do what's good and right. That's entirely false. Moses and later Jesus and later the entire New Testament are all saying that unless you win their hearts to love God, obedience doesn't mean anything. Jesus took on a whole group of people who loved obedience, but they didn't love God and called them whitewashed tombs. He said, in fact, you make them sons of Satan. Harsh words for people who obeyed the rules. They even knew why they were supposed to obey the rules. We fight for the heart because obedience will only come from a heart of love for God. You only obey because you love who God is and what He's done for you. Every other reason to obey will not, will not fulfill. So Moses, as they're on the precipice of taking over in this new land, warns them of this. It's why principle number two for us is to fight for the heart. For principle number three here, look at uh, the next verse here, again at verse 6 in Deuteronomy 6. Verse 6 says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Nothing exegetically fancy here, nothing super amazing here, other than to notice that it says that these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Moses speaking to the nation of Israel. The emphasis is that this undivided, loving obedience to God must be in the hearts of the adults before it's in the hearts of the children. I'm not just making this up as Moses' emphasis here. I'm not just drawing out something that's not actually there. Look at the, the, look at the next verse here in verse 7. The very next verse is about teaching these commands to the children. He's building up to that emphasis by emphasizing here in verse 6 that this undivided, loving obedience to God must be in their hearts before it's in the hearts of the children, which is why this principle is to make it personal. Make it personal. Next couple blanks there for you. Our children will only believe God is legit when they see Him displayed in us as parents and adults, as grandparents. Those coming behind will only believe that God is legit if they see him in us first. Friends, our kids have a front row seat to our lives, a front row seat to watch our lives. The question is whether they are watching a dog and pony show or a real life history of our undivided loving obedience to God. You can only fool your kids for so long. They will see. It doesn't take long. They're on to you. They will soon be old enough to see through your facade if your relationship with God is a Sunday for an hour play. Let me say something else related to this. There's this thing about parenting that, that this sort of line of thinking like, well, I can't even trust you to da-da-da, therefore you can't blah, blah, blah. That's a little bit backwards. Let me tell you what I mean. Your children, our children, learn to trust God by means of a personal relationship where they trust you. 
There is no other foundation for parenting or for modeling or for disciple making or for mentoring for the believer to anyone else who is a believer or non-believer. There is no transfer of faith unless there's a trustworthy relationship. Your children learn to trust God by means of a personal relationship where they trust you. It is less important if your kids demonstrate that they are trustworthy than it is that we demonstrate that we are trustworthy. It's important to think about this straight because we get this backwards. We get this backwards because we're sold out to a a system of of getting them to obey and, and behave like we want them to as opposed to the stuff of the heart. It's less important that your kids demonstrate that they are trustworthy to you. So stop taking everything personally. That it is for us to demonstrate trustworthiness uh, for them. My parents aren't and weren't perfect. Um, But they got this right. And because it's Father's Day, let me just say out loud, because my dad may listen to the podcast. If there is a, not likely actually, if there is a Wakefield male legacy, it is because my dad carried on what his dad taught him, which is to love God with wholehearted passion is what matters. So we must make this personal. God's commands must be on our hearts if they're going to be on the hearts of our kids. Now for principle number four, Uh, Look at verses 7 to 9. Good practical few verses here for us. It says, You shall teach them diligently, talking about the commands, talking about these words. You shall teach them diligently, carefully, and intentionally to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise, all parts of the day in all circumstances. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your gates. Moses was instructing the people to be intentional and careful about how they instructed their children. The Hebrew word here for teach is deeper than like we often think of the word teach. It's deeper than our, our classroom environment that is A, primarily focused on transfer of information and B, depends on having a motivated learner. That's classroom environment. That's what we think of as teaching. Primarily it's about transfer of information, and it depends on a motivated learner. This Hebrew word for teach here carries the idea of to cause to learn. To cause to learn. It means not just to transfer information and assume that the learner is always motivated to apply. If that were the case, we could merely tell someone something true one time and go away knowing we've done our responsibility, we've done what it means to be a teacher. But that's not what this is saying. We all know that that's not actually how it works. To cause to learn means to diligently and to deliberately and to carefully and to repeatedly and intentionally over and over again in many different contexts to teach until the learner has learned it and we know they've learned it and they've demonstrated they've learned it. That's what it means to teach diligently. Now, as Moses is saying these words, they were probably... Uh, thinking that day. There are probably many of them at that time thinking, Moses, I hear you, but isn't that exactly what we've been doing? We've already been talking about God in the morning and throughout the day and in the evening. Why are you telling us this? 
You, you see, God had already been putting on display in front of them these tangible object lessons that reminded him of his presence. They had been wandering in the wilderness where God gave them manna to eat, where a cloud of smoke led them by day, where a pillar of fire led them by night. So they're sitting here listening to Moses thinking, how can we possibly not talk about these things? Moses, there's a pillar of fire sitting there. How can we not talk about these things? God is with us tangibly all day long. But what Moses foresaw was that they would be in danger of losing focus and forgetting what God had done. So he told them, principle number four, to create a rhythm. Next couple blanks there for you. To create a rhythm. Moses knew that the people of God, when they went into this new land, the land of Canaan, land flowing with milk and honey, that the manna would stop, that the smoke would dissipate, that the pillar of fire would leave, that they would have to be more conscious and intentional and deliberate about these reminders of God's presence and His power in their life. So friends, tell the story of God's work as a part of your daily routine. Regular, boring, everyday faithfulness to telling the story of what God has done who he is and his work in our lives is the only way for our children to, to assimilate a real sense of God's power and presence and faithfulness in their everyday life. If Moses were alive today, he'd tell us to, to tell the story of God's work when we wake up, when we eat together. Statistics, by the way, show that families that create a godly dialogue at the table raise godly kids. To talk about the story of God and his work when we wake up, when we eat together, when we're in the minivan, when we pick them up from school, when we get them back from soccer or piano, when we're tucking them into bed. Parents, the question is, is the story of God's work readily on your tongue? If not, don't be surprised if the presence of God is not on the radar of your kids' hearts. If the story of the work of God is not readily on our lips from day to day, throughout the day, do not then be surprised later if our children don't have on the radar of their hearts the power and the presence of God. Where have they seen it? So create a rhythm. This is worth tweeting, by the way. Create a rhythm that supports the truth of the power and the presence of God. I only have like 400 followers, so chill out. I'm not just trying to get followers. Create a rhythm that supports the truth of the power and the presence of God in everyday life. In everyday life. Number five, finally, uh, jump back to the very beginning. In verse four, it just says this, three words at the very beginning. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. Notice that Moses here is speaking to the entire nation of Israel. He's talking to everyone, highlighting that the entire community had to be about this, had to be about passing on the faith to those who come behind. It's why he said in Deuteronomy 6, 2, earlier on in this passage, that this is about you, your son, and your son's son. It's about all 
past generations and future generations, having an undivided loving obedience of God. And that takes the whole community. If the truth of God and His work in our lives isn't seen in the entire community of faith, our children will not see the power and presence of God for their own lives. They will see a pretense, which is, by the way, a reason as, as Christian parents, don't play a facade of I have it together. It's a bad idea. We all see through that eventually. And your kids learn too before they even graduate from your home in faith, uh, perhaps, if you've been a fake. Now, if the truth of God and His work in our lives isn't seen and lived in an entire community of faith, our children won't see the legitimacy of God. So that's why it's important here for principle number five to widen the circle. Those are the blanks here for this last of five principles here. Widen the circle. I've had this experience in ministry a number of times and uh, (laughs) maybe you've seen this kind of dynamic and I've seen it in other places too, but I've seen this experience that I've had in ministry a number of times that works a lot like how this does for raising children. Someone will come up to me (laughs) and they'll talk about something amazing that they read in a book or something uh, that was just so awesome about this church that they visited when they were on vacation or something amazing. You can all go home and say that, by the way. Uh, Something amazing they heard some other preacher say, and they come up to me and they tell me about this, and they gush on and on about how amazing it was. All the while I'm sitting here thinking, how have you not heard me say this a thousand times? Parents, your kid comes home and says, was it youth group today? And Tommy said, da-da-da, that's so good. I'm thinking, how have you not heard me say this a thousand times? Friends, we need everyone to be a part of raising children. There's something about hearing it from a third party that gives it an authority and a weight that strikes a chord that is sometimes more easily heard, which is why we need to widen the circle. Are you hearing me, parents? Because some of us go about our parenting as if we are all our kids ever need. So keep them right here. I just just need them to be with me. Widen the circle. There's something about hearing it from a third party, about seeing the legitimacy of the truth of God, not just in your own life, but in the life of somebody else around you in the community of faith that legitimizes the power and the presence of God. This is important stuff, and we need everyone to be a part of this. So you may be sitting here thinking, I don't have kids. You probably will if you don't yet. If you're not of childbearing or marrying age, you most likely have kids if you are. All of us are a part of a community of faith called the body of Christ that is called to be responsible for for these top priorities of raising a generation of believers who come behind us. This is something that is so important that we need all hands on deck for this work of raising our children. In the church, in the home, in the church, and the family combine, it's the type of network of relationships that is required for our children to see faith for real. 
So we want you to join with us and be a part of uh, that important work that we're doing here as a body of believers at First Christian. Let's go ahead and pray together, friends.